0: Grab your Bibles. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, But first, I want to introduce you to a young couple. Um, And this young couple... (laughs) I'm sure they do not appreciate your laughing at them. (laughs) This young couple met in high school. They uh, dated through college. And eventually, they got married. Uh, Karen, the girl in the picture would emphasize the eventually part. A little bit about this couple. They both grew up in good Christian homes. They both grew up uh, going to church. They both grew up with good teaching. Uh, They both wanted to have their lives have impact for the Lord, and they wanted to have their marriages impact the Lord. But uh, in all reality, as they look back at it, they would tell you today that at that time, they really did not have the foggiest idea what a vertically driven marriage was even supposed to look like. So, today, we're going to talk about some things that this couple wish they would have been told. Um, In fact, today is going to be about six things. That this couple wish someone would have told them before they got married. And I want to make sure it's not focused on this couple. But the six things we're going to talk about, uh, I believe, really come back to the six most important passages of Scripture that have to do with marriage today. Uh, This could easily be a six week series, believe me, but we're going to touch on all of them today, all six. Six must-know passages um, for marriage. And let's just start number one. Number one is a review from last week. Uh, We wish that someone would have told us that marriage is a vertical team thing designed to display the Lord. Uh, If you weren't here last Sunday, uh, you can get that online, but uh, that's what we talked about last Sunday. The reality is Karen and I, we loved each other. We were each other's best friends. Uh, We wanted to do life together. We wanted to do life together, loving each other and being loved by each other. And as we look back, uh, we would frankly say that we had a very horizontal view of marriage. We wanted the Lord to be a part of our life, to be a part of our marriage, but we really just, it was kind of in this thing where ultimately, I think we would say first and foremost, we saw it maybe like most everybody else. We saw it very horizontal. But if marriage is first and foremost horizontal, in other words, if it's kind of first and foremost about this idea that that's so awesome that they love each other, It's neat that they're happy together. That's what they want. Uh, Then who cares who you marry? Seriously. If it's all about what makes you happy, who cares who you marry? Uh, Marry as rich as you can. Marry as hot as you can. Uh, Marry a man. Marry a woman. Who cares if it makes you happy? In fact... Not only marry whoever you want, but you could literally say, marry whatever you want, and marry however many you want. Because if it's about your happiness, who cares? Who has the parameters? In fact, be like Dennis Rodman and marry yourself. I I mean, that's the logical the thinking person's logical reality to the process of that, if that's the case. But marriage was not created or designed to be about one's own self-defined, horizontal happiness kind of quotient. And as we saw last Sunday, Genesis chapter 1 through 3, in Genesis chapter 1, marriage is a vertical thing. God created it, God designed it, and God put a purpose to it. In Genesis chapter 2, marriage is a vertical team thing. And in Genesis chapter 3, the reality is marriage is a vertical team thing that's tough because of sin. In fact, we took a look at that in Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about God says, listen, here's what's going to happen because of sin. Wife, you're going to want to rule. And by the way, husband, you're going to want to rule. And now this thing that was created to be for God's glory is now this horizontal bash of each other and after each other for... Control and for whoever wants the greatest happiness. But God didn't design it that way. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, marriage is uh, literally kind of supposed to, to image the Godhead. I mean, here the Godhead. Unique persons, uh, but yet functioning perfect unity. And marriage is about two unique persons brought together to be able to bring glory to the Godhead in it. I wish someone would have told us that. That was last Sunday. Second thing. We wish that someone would have told us that we would be very quick to see each other's sin, but slow to see our own. Uh, Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. Uh, This is the next uh, second must know passage of scripture for marriage. Uh, I wish someone would have told us more about Matthew chapter seven. Hey, uh, uh, married couples, have you noticed that your spouse is very different from you. Have you happened to notice that at all? Uh, We sure have in that. Uh, I mean, they can see life so differently. They can process so differently. They can feel life so differently. And just being transparent with you, Karen and I are very different. In fact, let me tell you about some of the differences between us and Karen and I sat down and talked through some of these things. Here's some of the differences. One, I grew up with two brothers Karen grew up with a sister. That has some ramifications. Growing up, my family, we always had a live Christmas tree. Karen's family, fake. What is the deal with that? (laughs) Karen grew up in L.A. In my teen years, my family would open presents Christmas morning and we would usually then be working down in the basement shortly after noon in our business. Uh, Karen, they would open presents, and it was not uncommon if they would then be at the beach on Christmas afternoon. Uh, My older brothers and I, we would have these bare-fisted WrestleMania brawl-outs in our living room. Karen, tea parties, and teach her stuffed animals. A completely different life. By the time I graduated from high school, I had been to 45 out of 50 states. Karen, maybe about 10. My dad was a medical research guy. Her dad was a pastor, completely different. I thought going to the library was total punishment. Karen, she could have lived in the library. In fact, at one point, was interested in being a librarian. By nature, I'm a very verbal person. By nature, Karen's just more quiet. I remember a lot of my life past. Karen doesn't remember, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, I'm not a beach person. Uh, she loves the beach. To me, mice are disease infested rodents, to Karen, they're pets oh, uh, I'm kind of more the creator dreamer type. Uh, She is just more the grounded, very content person that grew up having little. Uh, We're very different. And in marriage, there's this aspect at times that we can in so many ways embrace each other's differences. And we can get so irritated Let's be frank about it, by each other's differences. Mice are to be killed. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is teaching the crowd and he says, Judge not that you, not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be Judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Let's, why do you see the speck that is in your spouse's eye? But do not notice the log, the timber that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your spouse, Let me take the speck out of your eye, where there is this giant log in your own eye. Jesus says, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will, will, you will see clearly to be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I've come to see in, uh, in my own life um, uh, just how hard I can be on other people, have you? Uh, we wish that someone would have told us about this passage that someone would have helped us to understand how I can be so irritated by my spouse, she can be so irritated with me, and yet I'm so soft on myself. And you're so soft on yourself. In the words of Christ, we are walking hypocrites. Uh, Here's the reality. Spouses, spouses, You need to see your own sin as bigger than your spouse's sin. Here's another way to say it. It doesn't matter what percent of the problem is between the two of you. So often as, as we work with couples, it kind of comes down to that. Well, well, he's 60% of the problem, or, or she's 70% of the problem. Uh, listen, here's the deal. This is what this text is saying. It doesn't matter who has the greater percent of the problem. You be 100% about your percent of the problem. And if you're 5% of the problem, if you want to get into the measuring reality, you be 100% about your 5%. And get off the spec. And I'm talking to me too. Spouses, if you've been a spouse that's been all about tracking and all about measuring your spouse's faults, stop it. Stop it. Do you get the image that Jesus has here in this? How you measure them? Guess what? That's coming back at you, my friend. And if you're a hard guy, if you're a hard girl on your spouse, guess what? You've heard today from the scriptures that God essentially is saying, listen, hard guy, listen, hard girl. The the, the length of the measuring rod that you're using, the longer that is to be able to judge your spouse, guess what? It's coming right back at you. Better watch out, my friends. Does that not cause you to go, whoop, bring the tape measure back in? Doesn't it? Hey, this is so important. I wish someone would have helped us understand this earlier. The one who is my best friend. The one that I love. The one to do life with. For God. And I can be so hard. And you too. Right? Number three, we wish that someone would have told us that our conflicts would actually reveal our own hearts. Turn to James chapter four, James chapter four. Look at verses one and two. I love the practicality of the Bible. People who say it's irrelevant don't even look at it. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Haven't you wondered that? Like, we just had a quarrel, and it's like, what just happened there? Here's what's so cool about the Bible. It tells us. Here's what just happened there. Here we go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Rhetorical question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Whoa. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. The reality is that uh, uh, in a quarrel, idolatry is all over the place. Let me help you to understand a process that we've been taught that so tells the reality. It starts with a desire. It starts with a desire. I desire. I desire something. I desire peace. I desire comfort. I just desire to have some quiet time and not, you know, the kids jumping on me or this taking place or questions coming after me. Or I desire respect or I desire financial rest. I desire to be heard. I desire romance. I desire sexual intimacy. I desire a godly spouse. I desire attention. I desire your appreciation. I desire a date night. I desire family devotions. By the way, may I say this? None of these desires are wrong. These aren't bad desires. Desires aren't the problem. Hold on. It's when a desire moves to I demand that we're now stepping into idolatry. I must have it. Uh, They have it. He has it. She has it. Uh, I deserve it. I want it. Do you see in the text there? When your passions, when your desires of your heart are warring within you, it moves from a desire and it moves into a, I deserve it. I must have it. And in fact, I want appreciation. I want love. I want peace. I want calm so bad that I'm willing to sin to get it. You see what happens? Hey, friends. Go back this week. Think of a situation, and you will see this going right through your own heart as it does in mine and Karen's. I desire, and then that moves into an I demand. Uh, by the way, you notice in there it says that uh, uh, you fight and you quarrel, and it comes out as covetousness. I want, I've got to have. I've got to have financial rest. I've got to have any of those kinds of things. I need to have, I must have a godly wife. I must have a godly husband. Listen, when it moves into coveting, we're murdering, by the way. You see that in the text? 1 John 3, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. I don't like to talk about this, but the reality is, is guess what? Within our own marriages, from God's perspective, murder has occurred. In fact, I'm going to be so gutsy as to say this. I don't think there's probably a marriage in this room where from this standard, from God's perspective, where murder has not occurred by you and I. It's that serious. God sees it as that heavy, as that big of a deal. Because when we fight and quarrel, the reality is our heart is right out on the table. When my desire moves to a demand, then the next thing it moves to is a, I judge. I judge you. If you were a godly wife, if you were a godly husband or parents, if you were a godly child, uh, you wouldn't do that. You would do that. Uh, by the way, can you see Matthew 7 in that all over the place? Now I'm all over the speck in your life and I'm sinning right before talking about your speck. I judge, and then lastly, I punish. Because you are, or because you aren't, or because you won't, you're a bad husband. You're a bad wife right now. You're a bad Christian, and therefore, I'm going to blow up, or I'm going to clam up. I'm going to cuss you out. I'm going to withhold myself. I'm going to talk bad of you. I'm going to leave you. I fight and I quarrel because I'm not getting what I want. And all the while thinking and saying, You're the problem. I don't deserve this. Think about that. Right at that point in time, I am now the Lord, the judge, and the jury. And in fact, we could say it, I am the idol that's to be worshiped because it should be done my way. Who says? Who says? Instead, I would just say this when you're sensing that like quarreling is about to come on, let me help you. All you need to do in a nanosecond is ask these couple questions. What's going on in my heart right now? What's going on in my heart right now? What am I wanting? I want peace. I want calm. I want you to do what I said. Wait a second. That's the desire. That's the desire. Now, where are you going to go with that? What's going on in my heart? What do I want right now? And then third, where is God in this whole thing right now? We wish someone would have told us that our conflicts and our quarrels would be the biggest revealers of our own hearts and our own idolatry than almost anything in life. If you really want to know who you are, look at how you respond in conflicts. Number four, we wish that someone would have told us that it's not our job to change each other. <laughs> Turn to First Peter chapter 3. We wish someone would have told us that it's not our job to change each other, just a page or so to the right in your Bible. Uh, but Some may be thinking right now, but if I don't point it out, and if I don't point it out consistently, how are they going to learn? Uh-huh. Aren't our hearts something else? Well, let's read 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives... Be submissive to your own husbands. Yield yourself to your husbands. We're going to talk about this in just a second in Ephesians 5. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of your lives. When they see your respectful and your pure conduct, uh, do not let your adorning be external, not with the braiding of the hair and the wearing of the gold or the putting on of the clothing, but let your adorning being the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women of, of the past hoped in, in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. This is a, this is a respectful reality terminology. And, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is fright, frightening. Likewise, husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Oh, man, there's so many things in this passage that we could be digging into today, but I just want to hit on this. The priority of every spouse is to live life before your spouse as one who is consumed with pleasing the Lord. That's your job as a spouse. Your purpose to be a God-pleasing husband, a a God-pleasing wife, is not dependent upon how your spouse lives. I would love to be God's kind of man, but you don't know my wife. I would love to be God's kind of wife. You don't know my husband. Well, God does. And 1 Peter 3 principle is, you're still supposed to live as God's kind of man and God's kind of husband. They are not your excuse. Carrying with that, out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, which says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm to encourage my spouse. I'm to lovingly and respectfully and appropriately exhort my spouse towards growth in Christ. But listen, friend, you can't change your spouse. You can only live purposed rightly before the Lord. How much effort we spend after picking the speck out of our spouse's eye trying to change them. And I don't know if someone's told you, but later on in life, someone told us that Karen and I are not the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you know that, but if you think you're the Holy Spirit in your relationship, that seat's already covered. So I would lovingly ask you to step out of that seat and allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. And in fact, I would even say, step aside and get out of God's way. and live it and let the Lord use that I wish someone would have told us that number five here we go we wish that someone would have told us that sexual intimacy is a ministry thing turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 parents it's okay your kids here but I'm going to talk about it and whether you're married or single you need to hear this see because when we grew up it seemed like this, pa- this topic was, was never talked about church didn't talk about it other than don't do it good Christians don't do that Until they're married, and then it's like nobody ever talks about it. It saddens us that the church didn't talk about it. It saddens us that it seems that parents haven't talked about it. But do know this, our world sure talks about it. And not only that, but our God talks about it. And so the question comes out is where are you going to get your understanding of sexual intimacy from? I'm telling you, friends, the vast majority of believers have a worldly view of sex, not a biblical view of sex. So I'm just going to give you some basis here. Because we thought that it's like, surely God's just got to be embarrassed about this subject because his church doesn't talk about it. Uh, Maybe he just is like, you know, hides his eyes and, Says, well, I'm just going to put up with it. And maybe this, in fact, this is just a worldly kind of a thing. Far too often, like the topic of money. Sex is a topic that is just left unaddressed, even though God talks about it. But we wish someone would have told us about God's view of sex from like passages like Genesis 1 through 3 and Song of Solomon. And here we're going to cover First Corinthians 7 1 through 5 for a couple minutes. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. <laughs> that was a view, it seemed like, a lot of times of church. You know, just avoid it. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hang in here. Verse 2, But because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another. Except, perhaps, by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then, quote, come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you, Because of your lack of control, your lack of self-control. Friends, God invented sex. And let me give you just four quick principles here. Principle number one, sexual intimacy is a marriage thing. It's a marriage thing. Do you see in the text? uh, Not only did God create it, but it's to be a husband and a wife. It's in that context that it's laid out. Just simply, uh, sexual intimacy is a marriage thing. Number two, sexual intimacy is an all-in thing. Uh, It's the idea of giving myself fully, and completely, and without reluctance. That's contained within the idea of the text here. In fact, the norm is, sexual intimacy is to be a regular occurring thing in a married relationship. It's to be a regular thing. It's not just for having children thing. Sexual intimacy, secondly, is an all-in thing. Principle number three, sexual intimacy is a ministry-to-you thing. God's design. Look at the text. My body is for my spouse. Sexual intimacy is about my loving you, about pleasing you, and about protecting your, your, uh, your purity. And yet the world's idea of sexual intimacy, I'm just going to call it out. Pornographic sexual intimacy, it's all about me. It's about me. Hey, you're here for me. Please me. But that's not what God has for it. It's about my spouse. Is that how you think about it? Because we all know the world sure doesn't think that way, does it? By the way, that means I'm in the mood can be all about me. And that means that I'm not in the mood can be all about me. Just a couple little things to add in here. I'm trying to appropriately say these. For the uh, more interested spouse, ministry to your spouse includes increased self-control because it's not just about you. Generally speaking, it's about her. And balance that out. For the less interested spouse, it's not about you. Biblically out of First Corinthians seven, that means you need to maybe make yourself more available straight up. Finally, men feel loved in the bedroom, women feel loved outside the bedroom. Husbands? I mean this seriously. How's your ministry to your wife outside the bedroom? And wives? How's your ministry to your husband inside? We wish someone would have told us some of these things. Lastly, most importantly, we wish that someone would have told us that God had a specific picture for each of us to be living in our marriage. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me start in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk. We're in the context here, we're getting the idea, Paul is writing about uh, walking in the Lord. The first three chapters are kind of the theological basis. The last three chapters are the practical living out our theology. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But uh, be filled with his spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's it. Go around the house singing. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. My wife can. Uh, with all your heart, verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ, submitting, upotasso. Uh, By the way, I don't know if you were here during the John series, if you were, uh, that we did a little while ago. Do you remember uh, multiple times that we saw in the scriptures one of the things that stood out to me so much in going through John because it's so clear is how much the second person of the Trinity incarnate uh, submitted himself to the Father. The second person yielded himself to, to God the Father. And then we know from verse 21 that being subject to or submitting to or yielding to one another is something that we're all supposed to do. I use the terminology yielding. Not because I'm wimping out of using the politically incorrect word submitting, but because actually I think yielding has a better representation of what it's talking about. Hey, you know in the car, when you're coming on the highway and there's a sign that says yield? Yield. What that does not mean is I'm gunning it and get out of my way! Woo! No, 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 what are you supposed to do? No, you first. No, 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 you first. That's what that means. That's what that means. And we're all supposed to do that. No, you first. No, 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 you first. The son does that to the father. We're all supposed to do that with one another. And yet we live in a world where it's like on the entrance ramp, gun it, baby, get out of my way. Uh, May I remind us that is so what God said is going to happen in the home in Genesis 3. You're going to want to rule over him and he's going to want to rule over you. but that's not supposed to characterize us. Look at this then, verse 22. It gets actually the, the whole concept of hupotasso. Uh, it's, by the way, it's this idea of it's a military term. It means to arrange, to rank yourself under. It's to relinquish my rights to another. Yield, yield. And so here now, it actually, through the rest of chapter five and into chapter six, the whole topic of Tasso is carried out. And one of the areas here, it says, wives, uh who potasso yourself to your husbands as to the lord oh by the way we'll hit this because guys right now if you're thinking you're the lord hold on i'm coming after you okay uh submit your own selves to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife there's a headship reality this is not donald trump in the executive ceo chair I'm just going to tell you very transparently, I don't use the terminology very much at all anymore that husbands are supposed to be leaders. Why? Because over the last decades, as I talk with men and I talk with women, when I ask them, what is a godly husband supposed to look like? The first thing they say is a leader. The second thing I ask them is, is in what way? And it goes right right to decision-making. I'm the leader in Uh, decision-making. By the way, guys, when we get there, Look in the text and see how the whole topic of decision-making is zero. Here's the reality. There is a headship reality. That means just like when Adam and Eve sinned, God came for Adam first. And I will bet you Eve was thrilled about that. Because guys, our heads are on the chopping block first for our families. We're to be the pace setters in the home. Why? Because we are going to give first account to the Lord before what happens in the home. And if there's not love in the home, guess what? God's coming after us first. And no wives do know this. You're not unaccountable. But there is a headship thing here. And this is where wives, yield yourself to your own husbands. As the Lord for the husband is the head of the house, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I know everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to hear Doug talk on this topic and see where he's going to go with this. Let me just say this simply. Wives, hupotasso yourselves. And single women? Are you a Tasso person? You should be. Have that mindset. It's a mindset. By the way, when you live that way, you are living like the church. You are living like Christ's bride. That's an awesome thing. That's a thing that the Lord loves. No, but I want it to be about me. That's not the way the church is supposed to live, is it? fact, thank you. <laughs> Amen. Wives, uh, let me just say this. When you live out your picture, you are living the gospel. You are living picture, a walking picture of the gospel. Embrace it. Guys, it's your turn. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Please understand, too often, this passage is read by guys. It's like, I'm Christ on the throne. That is not what this is saying at all. In fact, the verb that talks about forgiving yourself up is the same root verb that is referring to Judas betraying christ he gave him over and by the way we could literally say here in reading this that christ loved the church and betrayed himself for her guys husbands live like that and by the way as i'm talking about all this right now may i make sure that we don't have matthew 7 going on right now I hope my husband's really listening to this. I hope my wife is really listening to this. Uh, Don't do that. Guys, love your wives like Christ going down the Via Della Rosa. Beat up, not because of his wife. Beat up, carrying the cross out of love for his bride for the good for his bride. Laying himself on the cross to be nailed down, at any point in time, he could have stopped the whole thing. Guys, betray yourself. Give it up. It's to be all about your wife. By the way, wives, wouldn't you love that? Hey, by the way, husbands, wouldn't you love a wife that's just like all about you? Uh, let's just keep reading here because we're going to see this is so cool because it's like I'm to be about you and you're to be about me. And that brings great glory to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that, there's a purpose, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so, by the, uh, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, uh, that she might be holier, set apart, and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. In other words, we like really love ourselves. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Wow, this sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? And the two shall become one flesh. Uh, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife... See that she respects her husbands. Husbands, betray yourselves, Guys, we can be so about ourselves. But that's not what Christ was. Christ gave himself up. And when you and I are living like that, He is greatly glorified. Think about this picture, friends. We didn't understand this. Our marriage on a walking day in, day out basis literally is to be a living representation of Jesus Christ and the church lived every day. And can you imagine God looking down in the Godhead and seeing that and it's like, look at that couple. They're living like Christ betraying himself and she's living like the church yielding herself. I'm loving this. That's the way marriage is supposed to be. Oh, I so wish someone would have helped us get that picture. Marriage is a vertical team thing for God's glory. And when we live it, we live the picture of the gospel. Marriage is not about your happiness. Marriage is about your holiness. About being set apart into something completely different unto the Lord for his glory. We wish someone would have told us that. But you know what? Probably a lot of people did. It, it, you know, uh, we could look back at all those six the way I've turned them all and excuse the whole thing. You know, Karen and I didn't have necessarily the greatest relationship or whatever in the beginning because someone didn't tell us. Can I just remind you? God's word ever since we've been born has told us all this stuff. And we're without excuse. But I am really, really grateful for the people who did come along in our life and helped us over the years and over the decades to grasp some of this. And you know what? Our parents may have told us all this, but guess what? We weren't listening. And the way life works is there's times where it's like, now I'm ready to hear, and now I'm ready to learn. So there's no excuse so if you haven't been thinking or living biblically in your marriage, um, no excuse. Uh, no one's perfect. But you've got God's word and his tools and uh, it's time to get at it. And so what I would ask you today is out of the six, what's the one, what's the two? Not that your spouse needs to know but for you? What is it? Have you maybe been seeing marriage as so horizontal and it's like, wait, get off of it. I have actually been seeing my marriage is all about my happiness. I need to stop that and get a whole different view of it and take it vertical. This is about God's glory. Maybe you've just been like harboring and piling on in your heart or verbally on your spouse and it's just like you got to stop it. It's time to stop it because that measuring rod it's coming back and it's going to be used on you and I love you enough and God loves you enough that he doesn't want that to happen. Instead it's like shrink it up and get after the 100% of your part of the problem. Hey I got to tell you marriage is wonderful and yet is the hardest thing ever isn't it? God designed it. God created it. And God intends for it to be a blessing to you and I and to himself. I don't know, maybe even as a couple, for those who are married, maybe even need to spend some time here later today or this week sitting down and just talking about these. And together, seeking the Lord that you would humble yourselves. Lord God, um, your word is so practical. Your word is so real. Your word is so alive. Your word is so helpful that we thank you for it. And our lives are called to be an offering to you. Lord, Lord, we may even know all these principles but yet then we have the challenge of actually living them out god we know we can't do these on our own the only way we can do these is with your help and yet what you have called us to do what you have called us to be you've not called us to do and called us to be that and then left us unequipped to do that what you expect of us you've equipped us to be able to do And so God, I pray that out of our time today and last week on this whole topic of marriage, I pray that there would be husbands whose hearts would be softened, whose hearts would be broken in their own pride. Husbands that would seek the forgiveness of their spouse for their part of the problem. Husbands that would betray themselves increasingly so for your. And oh Lord, I pray for the wives here. I pray for the women here. Lord God, would you put in them just a yearning to want to be the kind of a woman that isn't about herself. But a wife that would be about her husband. And Lord, when a husband is betraying himself, that so encourages a wife to want to yield herself. And when a wife yields herself, that so encourages a husband to want to betray himself. May we be that. Lastly, Lord, I want to pray for those couples in here who have a spouse that may not know you as their Savior, who just may be at a point where they're hard to you right now. Oh God, may they take their eyes off the horizontal and keep it on the vertical and that's you they realize like First Peter chapter 3 just because their spouse isn't living for you doesn't mean they can't thank you that you've told us all these things in the precious name of Christ we pray